The Truth News Network. Things to trust more than politicians. Cable company internet speeds. Stereo equipment out of a white van. Gas station sushi. Drinking water from Lake Erie. A weather forecast from Al Gore. Things you can trust. Well, let's start with someone immersed in the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. Did you notice Pete Moss didn't give any specifics? Where do we go to get the truth? Well, we can start right here. That's true. And to be honest with you folks, it's really tough to go to places and find facts. A lot of places to go to, but do we find facts once we get there? Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the final day of TNN Live in this week. And it has been a rocket-filled week, hasn't it? So many things have happened. It's hard to keep up with it all. But we do that for you in many cases, with you in many other cases. So looking ahead at your weekend, what do you have planned? Well, there's really good football, really good college and NFL football. We're in both the NCAA and the NFL. We're getting down to where it really gets serious about wins and losses. Starting on Saturday tomorrow, I mean around the nation, huge football rivalries and really big games as it uh, is going to impact postseason play in college football. Biggest game of the day, LSU and Alabama. Oh my gosh. I have no idea where to go with this. This is not one of the best Alabama teams in the last few years. LSU, under a new head coach, still trying to find their uh, their abilities under a new system up there. But uh, they've really done well the last few weeks. It's going to be a great game, probably the biggest game. On Sunday, I can't even tell you. I can't even point to the really important football games. At this stage of the season, they're every one very important. And just remember this. This one will make you feel good about your financial difficulties and struggles. Do you know what the minimum salary is for an NFL football player? I'm talking about uh, a kicker, no less, that may impact a game with four plays total. $620,000 a year. Think about that. a year, and they get paid weekly during the season. And they divide their $620,000, if they're at league minimum, they divide it by 16 and cut them a check every year, every week of the season. It's a lot of money to take home. You better sock some away for a multitude of reasons. Number one, football players, professional football players are traded like cattle And even when it doesn't seem like it should happen, often some player gets cut or traded. So the future is very uncertain. Kind of like your job, (laughs) my job. We never know for sure where we stand even when we own a company for which we're working. That's some of the stuff every American thinks about and deals with every day. Look, Circumstances can be horrible. In the midst of being really good, things can turn horrible in just a matter of a moment. A heart attack, a car wreck, 
some kind of job employment incident comes up and happens and can change your life in an instant. So how do you recommend we handle that, Dan? Find a foundation, some place, some sense, some feeling that you can go to and know it's there, it's solid, it's not going to change, never going to change. Where's the only place that can happen? I'll be honest with you, I'm not a preacher, but I'm going to tell you this, it's in a personal relationship with God. God's not going to change. It doesn't matter how bad you are, the evil that you do, the deceit, the unfaithfulness, the lies, the cheating, the stealing, all of those, if you come to Jesus, if you come to God and you do it in a repentant heart, he'll forgive you. And even when you're doing those things, he still loves you and cares for you. He's always there. So why not start there instead of going there when you have no other choice, when you've tried everything yourself and none of it works out? Try going there first. You can learn a lot and you can get power and knowledge sufficient to keep you from making some of these life choices that put you in these bad circumstances. How do I know that? I'm the voice of experience. God doesn't walk away when we screw up. Now, this is not this is not a religious program. You know that. And it's really across the board just talking about issues in life every day. Most days we're talking about political issues that they change our life for the better, hopefully, but in many cases not for the good or for the better, for the worse. Many of these circumstances are out of our control, so we can't make decisions that directly impact these circumstances. But what we can do, what we must do, is we must be active in finding those in our political system or those that want to get into our political system who are best suited to take care of all of the political matters that belong in the government. We must carefully choose those people who are going to be endowed with our vote, our confidence to do the things that are structured to do. That includes enforcing every law. I don't care what law it is. It's passed by the representatives of the people. And if you don't like the laws that are passed, change the laws. Don't ignore the laws. I'm speaking to you, Mr. President. I'm speaking to you, Mr. Governor. I'm speaking to you, Mr. Mayor, Mr. District Attorney, Mr. Police Chief. Do what the law says you're supposed to do. Follow the law. Every one of those offices, the office holders that I just mentioned, every one of them, they swear an oath to do just that. Every federal officer that's elected swears an oath to protect the Constitution, to protect the rule of law. That's a very solemn obligation and a very solemn commitment that's made. We can do this. We can hold those accountable that make those oaths and make sure they keep them or make changes. That's what the midterm elections Tuesday are about. 
making necessary changes, putting new people in places. There are people that are retiring, that are leaving office, and their spaces, their offices are being filled by brand new people. Make sure we are putting the right people in those places. And as far as the United States Congress, you do understand that in the House of Representatives, there are 435 elected elected seats. Every one of those 435, those that hold those seats now, they have to run for re-election. And if they retire and leave an opening, somebody else is going to run to fill an empty seat. But then even if you're an incumbent, there is somebody out there that is running against you. That happens every two years. So whatever you do, if you're registered to vote, make sure you vote. If you don't vote, you have no right to blast anything that goes on in our government and anything done or not done by our government. It's our obligation. We're citizens. And on that note, I want to start with a story that will probably frost many of you. Pro-migration advocates today, this morning, are touting their big success. You know what they did? They converted 1.5 million migrants into potential Democrat voters for this midterm election. A million and a half. Now, how did that come about? We are happy to report that the government naturalized an estimated 1.52 million new citizens in fiscal year 2021 and fiscal year 2022. That ended October 1st. Now, who is saying that? The National Partnership for New Americans, called the NPNA. Now that we've naturalized, let's vote. And they can do that legally. Most of the newly naturalized citizens have been in the U.S. for at least five years. Most of the new voters likely came during President Barack Obama's two terms when he quietly worked with establishment Republican legislators to import more workers, more consumers, more renters for U.S. investors and CEOs of big corporations. Now, the NPNA has many subgroups, and they help the migrants apply for citizenship to the Department of Homeland Security, which, by the way, is run by pro-migration zealot Alejandro Mayorkas. The help included guidance in filling out forms, legal advice, and money, mostly taxpayer money, to pay their application fees. The NPNA credited taxpayer-funded Democrat-run cities, government unions, and business-backed nonprofits for the voter drive. Have you heard about any of this? The investments and efforts of these cities and counties, they've been hugely instrumental in helping millions of people naturalize across the country. We are so proud to have SEIU Texas and Mayor Turner of Houston join the Naturalize Number 2 Million by 2022 campaign and share how investments in naturalization aren't just good for localities, but a key strategy to expand the electorate and strengthen our democracy. 
That was a press release. During the 2020 election, about 1 in 10 U.S. voters were born outside the U.S. Did you know that? I didn't. The actual number of new voters for the Democrat Party may be less than a million, and their impact may be offset by any turnout increase among native-born Americans. Many of these new citizen immigrants may not even register to vote. Some will register and not vote. A few, they're going to cross over and pull the lever for Republican candidates. But decades of data show that naturalized immigrants are among the most pro-Democrat groups. That support, it's cemented by the Democrats' eagerness to flatter the migrants' diverse cultures, to wrap migrants in what? You tell me. Government-provided benefits. What are those benefits? As you know, education, medical expenses, housing. You and I, taxpayers, pay for all of that. The single biggest threat to Republicans' long-term viability is demographics. Now, who said that? Axios. Back in 2019, Axios, a far-left publication. They said the numbers simply don't lie. There's not a single demographic megatrend that favors Republicans. This was back in 2019. The children and grandchildren of immigrants, however, often turn away from loyalty to the Democrat Party and instead favor the political candidates who offer rising wages, safer streets, better schools. The evolution is happening with many Latinos and agents in 2022 that causes much heartburn to Democrats. New voters can have an outside impact on these close races that we've been talking about. Here's an example. In August, this NPNA group touted its success in creating 100,000 new voters in Georgia. Georgia, of all places, where the Democrat and GOP Senate candidates are in a neck-and-neck race. The NBNA, they said this, we're knocking on doors, we're having conversation with community members, we're registering people at festivals. That's Jerry Gonzalez, who's the CEO of the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials. So the Latino electorate in Georgia is truly powerful, and it's also outperforming the national low vote participation rate. In October... In October, last month, the NPNA touted its success in recruiting new voters up in Washington State, where Tiffany Smiley is trying to unseat Senator, longtime Senator, Patty Murray. Over 86,000 newly naturalized citizens in the state of Washington could play a deciding factor in the outcome of upcoming midterm elections. This block of newly naturalized citizens called American voters, is multiracial, multigenerational, geographically diverse, and majority female. Nearly 48% of these voters are from Asia, 22% from the Americas, 17% from Europe, 12% from the African continent. Roughly 15,000 new immigrant voters may swing elections in New Mexico. Most of the newly naturalized citizens in New Mexico who naturalized from 2016 to 2020 are originally from Mexico, about 63%. 
51% of the new American voters are under 45 years old. Around 58% are women. That's really good news for New Mexico's Democrat Governor Michelle Grisham. She's trying to fend off a challenge from Republican candidate Mark Ronchetti. In Pennsylvania, this is the big one, one of the big ones, the roughly 85,000 new voters can shift the results Tuesday in the tight race between J.D. Vance and uh, Republican Tim Ryan. That's in Ohio. I said Pennsylvania. Sorry about that. Nobody's talked about this. This information just came out overnight. There's only one thing Americans can do. It's the same thing that the only thing Americans could do before this information came to your purview. What is that? Go vote. Speak your voice. Give your opinion. At the polling booth Tuesday. Between now and then, if you want to talk to others, I would suggest it. And don't berate anybody for anything. You're not going to reach any kind of uh, positive situation there. You're going to push people away that may be your friends today. Whenever you get a chance, speak your mind in love. Do that. Now, speaking of Pennsylvania, I just messed up and should have been talking about Ohio, J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. In uh, Pennsylvania, we all know Dr. Oz is running against the Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, probably the closest Senate race in America. Dr. Oz leads Fetterman right now, 48% to 46% among likely voters that were sampled in Emerson College's poll released yesterday. The poll which The Hill sponsored finds that 4% of likely voters are still undecided, but Fetterman still trails Oz 48 to 47% when the undecided leaners are accounted for. The margin, that margin, is a four-point swing compared to a poll back in September from the polling outfit, which has Fetterman at 45%, Oz at 43%. This is just one of the numerous polls that have shown Oz ahead following the candidates' debate last week. If you didn't see it, during the debate, Fetterman relied on a closed captioning system to help with his auditory processing issues that are caused by a severe stroke he had back in May. Still, he repeatedly struggled with his words throughout the evening. So of the 93% of poll respondents who had observed some degree of debate coverage, 50% say the Fetterman's performance worsen the opinion of him. 44% their opinion of Oz improved. During the show today, we're going to give you some more polling information, but we're not going to spend all day on it. There's so much more out there. I'm not saying I'm not saying that this election is not important. I'm not saying it's not critical. It is. It's important and it is critical. But information, truthful information, will push this over the, over the finish line. I'm trusting and believing. If you look at everything happening on the other side of conservatism, it's abysmal. It's the worst I've ever seen in my lifetime. I'm prayerfully believing 
that Americans get that. That most Americans are going to vote based upon their specific circumstances, not on any pie in the sky that somebody from either political party promises in the future. Look at where we were two years ago. Look at where we were four years ago and compare it to where we are today and make your choices. Use your education, your ability to comprehend and to compare. Use the facts in your life to determine who you vote for on Tuesday. Now, speaking of facts in our lives, you and I both know I filled up, I took my Harley late last night because I was going to ride it to prayer this morning, six o'clock prayer I go to. It's about a uh, 30 mile round trip and I love to ride early in the morning, even though there's a lot of traffic on the interstate. When it's dark, I don't know, riding in darkness, you know, you're out in the open, the wind's blowing, you get a sense of all of the natural things around you. You're not in a car listening to the radio and I have the ability to listen to XM satellite radio on my motorcycle. I don't do that. I don't have any headphones in my in my helmet. And I do that purposely. Gives me time to think. It gives me time to prayer. But I went to fill up last night. I went and put gas in my motorcycle. And normally every other tank I put in premium. It just makes the engine run a little smoother. So regular here in Louisiana last night, at least where I get my gas, was $3.02 a gallon. But premium, and it was time to put premium gas in the tank, was $3.46 a gallon. And I couldn't believe it. $3.02 to $3.46. So real quickly, I did the math in my head. That's $0.42 a gallon different. It only holds four gallons of gas. (laughs) So... That hardly makes any dollars and cents difference. Now, if it's a 25, 30-gallon tank, that's another story. So I went ahead and got premium. But fuel prices, and pretty much the cost of everything, but really fuel prices, because when you pull up at the pump, you look over there, and you're literally seeing, this is how much per gallon it's going to cost me today. And all of us, don't lie and say you don't do this. You multiply the gallon price in your head before you decide where to go buy, you multiply that by the number of gallons your tank will hold. And if you do that almost every time, you'll go, oh my God, I can't believe this. I remember a few months ago in my car, I spent $100 on a tank of gas. That's inconceivable. And my car gets really good gas mileage, but with my driving, That tank of gas at $100, it's only going to last me 300 miles. And I got to go back and do the same thing again and do the same thing again. I've told you this before. The day Joe Biden was elected, the day, the actual day of, I paid $1.69 for a gallon of gas. Yesterday, when I told you I went and filled my motorcycle tank up. It wasn't the same store, but it was at the same chain. So in Shreveport and Bossier City, those very seldom change. If you're going to one of the chain stores in the same city, the price is going to be the same. 
and I just told you, regular was three oh two a gallon. What great things have I gotten in my life in the last two years that I've been willing to pay that much more for the same thing because it was the Biden administration and the Biden administration policies made better for me? Nothing. There's not one positive thing I can point to. I would love for you to tell me if, if, if you've got some in your head. Now, everybody might say, well, we got a new employment report this morning and there were a bunch of people that went to, went to work, got back in the employment world. And that's a good thing, a real accomplishment. And of course, President Biden and Barack Obama are going to be on the campaign trail all weekend long and they'll be touting that, you can be sure, because that's pretty much the only positive thing that they can scream about. But here's when they're screaming, you need to know what the facts are. Joe Biden says it all the time. We've created more new jobs than any other administration in history. They're not new jobs. It's people that hardcore leftist policies put on the street with lockdowns that shouldn't have ever happened, but the excuse was COVID-19. You remember that? People lost their jobs. Employers went away because they couldn't stay in business without having business. These are people, almost every one of them, are simply people going back to work. Those are not new jobs. Those are people going back to older jobs that nobody has come back for in post-COVID world. But it's not just gasoline. It's not just employment and unemployment. It's not just wages. We have a real problem, a real problem that is looming. The Biden administration won't talk about it. I promise they know about it. Diesel fuel. Now, have you heard anybody talking about an extreme shortage of diesel fuel? We have one. And I'm going to let you hear the details in just a second. But think about this. Think about the things in your life that will change if diesel trucks can't put diesel in their tanks to transport goods around the nation. Think about how that will impact you. Here's Tucker Carlson last night revealing something about diesel and its availability that I had no idea was going on. According to the Energy Information Administration, the United States is about to run out of diesel fuel. Our supply of diesel will be exhausted in less than a month. What will that mean exactly? Well, currently seven states are at, quote, alert level four. The entire southeast is at code red. That means 72-hour notice is required for all fuel deliveries in anticipation of shortages. The diesel shortage is a symptom of a larger problem. Distillates, that would include jet fuel, diesel fuel heating oil, but their lowest recorded levels in more than a decade. So there are a lot of reasons for this. The Biden's religious war against Russia is the main one. But the effect on the country, that's the question tonight. What will that mean if we run out of these distillates in the middle of winter? Mike Taylor is the owner of Combined Energy Services. He joins us tonight. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. So what will that look like exactly? 
Well, Tucker, I'm hearing from our suppliers that it seems like we're walking a fine tightrope on home heating oil and diesel supply. I can really only speak to the Northeast. Uh, they're telling me that in reserves, we're at 60% of a five-year average. Uh, all of our heating oil in the Northeast, most of it comes out of uh, the Philadelphia market, Linden, New Jersey. Good news is a refinery in Paulsboro, New Jersey is coming back online, produces, I understand, 105 million barrels a day. So that's going to help the Northeast. All of our oil comes out of that region, floats up through the New York Harbor, and that supplies New England. We've already seen curtailments and shortages up on the Hudson River terminals. That was early October. Uh, our suppliers are really saying it's a fine tightrope that if we have a drastically cold winter, could be trouble. Could be trouble in supposedly the richest, most developed nation in the world. We're afraid of winter. Um, so what would that mean for prices for heating oil and, and kerosene? by the way, which a lot of poor people use in their trailers. What, what would that look like in February? No question. Already, we've seen the last two years, home heating oil is up over $3.50 a gallon. Retail home heating oil in the Northeast is over $6 a gallon today. Kerosene, when we can get it, is at 7 As we've spoken in the past, mobile homes uh, use kerosene. Uh, it's very yeah. hard to get right now, and it's going to be unaffordable. The climate change agenda in the Northeast, Tucker, is what really what's uh, causing this. Of course, across the country, demonization of fossil fuels but in New York State, New Jersey, we're on fast track to try to eliminate fossil fuels with no alternatives that anybody can afford. So this means the price of I think I'm sorry, this means the price of cordwood goes up too. It's definitely going to go up, cordwood, pellet stoves. But in 2030, New York State is outlawing all fossil fuel, uh, meaning natural gas, propane gas, heating oil, all appliances in your home. New Jersey is outlawing all large boilers starting in 2025. Uh, what they're saying is any boiler at 1 million BTUs or up, which are all your natural gas heating and oil heating systems in New Jersey, there's over 8,300 of them have to convert to electricity. Tucker, New Jersey has already estimated it's going to cost over $2 million to convert each one of these buildings, and they've admitted with an operating cost five to six times using electricity over natural gas. The crash course we're on in the Northeast is just undescribable. Well, it's just, that's just, that's the definition of insanity. Mike Taylor, yeah. I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you. Did you know any of that was going on? I knew we were having some pending shortages that we talked about in the context of our president selling our strategic oil reserve uh, oil to foreign countries. Why would he do that? There's only one logical reason that I could come up with, payback for something. After all, he is quid pro quo Joe. Some of the strategic oil reserve oil that he sold, he sold to China, of all places. In the context of that, now we know we're about to run out of diesel. That's going to change the landscape of the nation in the next few months, if not the next few years, if we don't get on top of that. Speaking of China... And speaking of Joe Biden, the House of Representatives, they have been deep in investigations of Hunter Biden, not because of Hunter Biden himself, but because of Hunter Biden's foreign business deals that involve the President of the United States. Yesterday, a massive trove of information fell into the laps of the House of Representatives. That's next at TNN Live.
I passed through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I wave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Oh, Egg McMuffin, good call, babe. Fresh cracked egg. Oh, that's all the fruit in here. Mmm. We've got to try this, honey. Oh, you're not my honey. It's so good. <laughs> The simple joy of getting lost in a great breakfast. That's actually how we met. <laughs> we may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, buy two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. You know, I really love cabbage. I don't like boiled cabbage. Can't stand it. But to me, the best salad in the world is fundamentally based on raw cabbage. I love it. I don't like brats, 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 whatever they call. <laughs> and sauerkraut. I don't like that, but I like cabbage. Uh, I like cabbage with just vinegar on it. Oh my gosh, it's too early in the morning to talk about food, isn't it? Well, let's not talk about food. Let's talk about what is going on with the House of Representatives, what they found, and what they're putting out there that they are going to consider (laughs) in the upcoming election. Republicans today dropped a 1,000-page report that says the FBI is rotted at its core, manipulated domestic violent extremism statistics, and did so for political purposes, and deliberately downplayed serious allegations of wrongdoing from Hunter Biden. Now, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee, those are the ones that released this 100, excuse me, 1,000-page report today alleging widespread politicization and misconduct in the FBI. Now, one reason I'm giving you this information, and this is coming from the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Mike Johnson is on that committee. He's a chief architect of all this information, 
And it just so happens he's coming on the show Monday morning, specifically coming on to give us his thoughts on the election and what we're facing on Tuesday the next day. But I promise you he's going to bring this up. What's it all about? So at the 10,000-foot level, I can tell you what we know. The damning file says the Bureau is rotted at its core. It manipulated domestic violent extremism statistics and did so for political purposes. And of course, I can promise you this. What political purposes? (laughs) Not for any Republican or any Republican candidate, for sure. The FBI downplayed investigations and serious allegations of wrongdoing leveled at Hunter Biden. So Republican members of the committee also said the whistleblowers that came forward came forward with allegations of rampant corruption, manipulation, and abuse and have tried to purge conservative employees in the Department of Justice and the FBI. This report was created without the help of the Democrats on the committee, which are the majority, and was released four days before the midterm elections, and signals that the Republicans will target the FBI if they retake the majority in the House. It details Republican Senator Chuck Grassley's revelation that Agent Tim Tebow as part of a scheme to discredit derogatory information on President Joe Biden's son and caused allegations from the laptop to be falsely labeled as disinformation. The FBI, under the stewardship of Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland, is broken. That's the term used by this report. The problem lies not with the majority of frontline agents who serve our country, but with the FBI's politicized bureaucracy. And a good friend of mine who is in the FBI basically said when I asked what would be the best way to right the ship with the FBI, he said if the entire seventh floor of the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, that's the FBI building, if the top floor, the seventh floor, was just blown away. I didn't say that, and that's not a threat. I'm repeating what I was told. The Republicans are calling it the very first comprehensive accounting of the FBI's problems to date, which undermine the FBI's fundamental law enforcement mission. Hmm. So, here's the takeaways from the politicization of the FBI report. One, the FBI leadership is abusing its law enforcement authority for political purposes. Two, the FBI artificially inflated and manipulated domestic violent extremism statistics for political purposes. The FBI has been downplaying and reducing the spread of the serious allegations of wrongdoing that are leveled against Hunter Biden. The Justice Department and the FBI are using counterterrorism resources, not for counterterrorism, but to target parents resisting a far-left educational curriculum. Number five, the FBI is abusing its foreign surveillance authorities, which basically it doesn't have. The CIA has that, and the two are not supposed to overlap. Number six, 
The Justice Department and FBI are conducting an unprecedented raid on the former president's home in Mar-a-Lago. Number seven, the FBI is stalking a Republican congressman on a family vacation to seize his personal cell phone. The Justice Department and the FBI continuing to allow attacks on pro-life facilities and churches to go unabated while pushing an anti-life agenda. Number nine, the FBI is conducting an intelligent assessment of a conservative charity under the guise of investigating unrelated alleged crimes. Number 10, the FBI purging employees who refuse to align themselves publicly with the leadership's political ideology. And number 11, the FBI is helping big tech to censor Americans' political speech. Probably don't need to tell you this, but all of that, every bit of it, is illegal. But who's going to hold the FBI accountable? After all, they're the the FBI. They're in charge of holding people for doing what they're doing. (laughs) It's a vicious circle. Oh, my gosh. So what are we going to do? We're going to have an election. (laughs) We're going to have one, probably the most controversial election that I can remember. I mean, they're all controversial. There's all kind of angst in every one of them. You know that. But I, I, I have never seen such diverse um, politicization, very diverse by people in the same party. Of course, I'm speaking about the Democrat Party. I mean, think about it. Barack Obama's out on the campaign trail. One of the chief things he said, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, probably both days and even all this this week when he's been having these meetings and giving these speeches, he's concentrating on unity and that we have got to unify as a nation and division is everywhere, but we have got to unify it. He's saying that while Joe Biden's some other city at the same time, and he's saying Republicans are going to destroy our democracy, and if you vote for a Republican, you're voting to destroy our democracy. Not a very unifying message from the leadership in the Democrat Party right now. Why is this happening? One reason and one reason only. They're desperate. They are desperate. They see the handwriting on the wall. And they don't know what to say. They've got to come up with some talking point that is sellable, at least. But you got one leader that is, without question, a better leader than the leader we have right now in the White House. But he's saying you've got to be unified. And then Joe Biden's out there, and they're going nuts over the MAGA-MEGA Republicans labeling, it's the identity politics gang, and damning anybody and everybody that doesn't agree with them. How unifying is that? And oh, by the way, we have this brain surgeon from Hollywood, Michael Moore. He's yesterday on MSNBC's The Beat, and listen to what he had to say. Democrats are going to keep control of both houses of Congress in the midterms. Why? Because the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, he's not a woman. 
he's not a real I don't want to I don't want to go there. I'm just going to say okay, he's a democrat. He's a democrat activist. He's done quote unquote documentaries and all that kind of stuff. Anti anti the rule of law, anti real democracy and he hates Republicans. Here's what he said, quote, they're not going to win next Tuesday. I know it seems like I take a minority position on this because the media is full of a lot of how the Republicans are surging and the Republicans are doing so well, and so this race, we're going to lose. And then he said, actually, we're not going to lose. There's more of us than there are of them. And to believe that we're going to lose on Tuesday, they're going to take over Tuesday, you have to believe certain assumptions. And then he began to spew his wisdom. You have to believe what the pollsters have been telling us since the Roe decision. Women were very upset back in June when the decision came now, but now they're kind of collected themselves. And they're not so upset because... They're thinking more about the price of a gallon of gas or a can of Campbell's soup is up 27%. You know how women are once they hear that soup has gone up 27 cents a can or the gas, he continued. What's gas this week now? It's about 22 cents over last year at this time per gallon. Right away, women are like, I don't need these reproductive rights. I want to spend less at the gas pump. I mean, it's so condescending. So I just wonder as I watch the news and listen to the pundits and pollsters, do they know any women? Is there someone at home that's a woman? Have they talked to anybody really since June? Do people watching this right now, when I say people, I'm talking about men watching this right now, do you really think that women are just over it, over row? Now I quoted Michael Moore. Remember what I said at the top of it. I quoted him saying, quote, they're not going to win next Tuesday. And then you heard the diatribe. of all, He gave all the justifications for these women to not vote for Democrats and to vote for Republicans. Honestly, I can tell you, and I'm not a pollster. I'm not looking at any polls on what I'm about to say. My sense is most women in the nation are not nearly as upset about the Supreme Court overturn of Roe v. Wade. Why? Because they know if they want to get an abortion, there are still places in the United States where getting that abortion is legal. What many on the left tried to do and did very unsuccessfully was to use that overturn of Roe as a weapon in the election to demonize Republicans. Listen, for the Democrat, what am I trying to come up with a name? Mantra, talking points mantra. For those to be successful, they must take the position that women are inferior. Inferior. In other words, they don't have the ability to discern right and wrong what's best, what's worst, and who is bringing what's best and who is bringing what's worse to us politically. It's the same thing we tell you here at Truth News Network, TNN Live all the time. They don't trust Americans to see and understand the truth and to make decisions 
on their own. They feel like leftist news media, I just mentioned MSNBC's, the show The Beat, the guests on that show that they bring aboard, the anchors on that show that are there every day, they don't think Americans in general have the ability to understand and to discern what's true and what's not. So therefore, their whole perspective, their whole operation is built on this. We must explain what the news means when we give the news to people. We've got to tell them exactly what the news means or these people will never get it and they'll never make good choices. That's 180 degrees away from what they should be doing. And what Michael Moore said? Come on now. Michael Moore has lost most of his mind, what little bit he had. Are you demeaning Michael Moore? I'm demeaning what Michael Moore has chose to become. He's tried to make himself applicable in only election seasons. It's like a bad cold. You get one, and once you get it, you know it's going to come back. It's going to circulate and go around different times in the year. You just don't know when. Michael Moore, he's a bad cold, and you know he comes back every two years. And he just recycles the same worn-out talking points. Republicans don't respect women's rights. They want to take the rights women have over their bodies. Yada, 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 yada. Same Song, second verse, third verse, same story. Chapter one, two, three, four, it's all the same to him. It's only talking points that he and many like him try to use against Republicans to impact Democrats that they think are too stupid to see the facts. Let me tell you the facts. The facts are I paid more than $3 a gallon for gas last night. The facts are, I go to the grocery store, and the stuff that we normally get, I'm familiar with the prices on them. The prices are up 40, 50, 60, 80, even 100%. What has changed for the good that makes me feel like it's okay for me to pay those prices? Nothing has changed for the good. Not a single thing, with the exception of maybe one. Americans have been shown the reality of big government, big leftist policies, and politicians making choices and decisions not based upon facts or based upon what's best for the people they govern, but based upon their political perspective and the things that they want politically, not what the people want. And i got to be honest with you the leaders in the Democrat Party, left and right, do you hear all this week, last week, and the week before? What is the universal talking point they all use? Republicans want to destroy our democracy. We can't let this democracy end. We've got to protect this democracy. When we get back from this break, There's a purpose, a coordinated purpose for that being spoken. And it's not about, hey, they're attacking America. That's not what they're saying. They're saying Republicans 
or attacking our democracy. Think about that during the break. This is going to surprise you, some of you, but it's going to blow you away. That's next. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. What can milk do? Well, it can turn you into a morning person. It can help fuel some pretty tough stuff. And it can definitely make cartoons funnier. No, it can't. Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whir and creme brulee cremey. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do? Juice drinks, sodas, and sports drinks are loaded with added sugars and calories and have little or no nutritional value. Sugary drinks can destroy teeth, cause obesity, and lead to type 2 diabetes. Sugar bites. Protect your kids. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Since Pete Moss just used the term deep state, let me point you to the front page story of truthnewsnet.org today. It is about the deep state, and it's written by Victor Davis Hanson, somebody that I've I just adore the things that he says. He's an amazing man. He's very, very educated, and he's extremely well thought of. So make sure you check that story out. Victor Davis Hanson wrote it. It's on the front page of truthnewsnet.org. So where am I coming from when I talk about democracy, democracy, democracy? I mean, even Hillary Clinton, even Barack Obama, they're out on the campaign trail. That is the Democrat talking point of the last week before the midterm elections. They want Americans to believe, and they're saying over and over and over again, we've got to protect our democracy. Republicans are going to destroy it. Republicans hate our democracy. There's one period in world history that you and I can point to because it happened just before most of us. But for some of us, we saw it ourselves. Despots that have lived on earth have in every case labeled their governments as a Democrat government. The Democrat government 
of the Soviet Union. The Democrat government of China. Communist countries have been called by their leaders and people in their government as a Democrat government. Folks, you didn't you didn't get born into a Democrat nation. Our government is not a Democrat government. It never has been. Our forefathers came from nations in Northern Europe that call themselves Democrat governments. How does this happen to us through centuries? It's a universal phrase that gets passed down and passed down and passed down. In every one of these so-called Democrat governments, Mussolini in Italy, Hitler in Germany, Stalin in Russia, Mao in China, in every one of them, they called what they did democracy. In fact, the Democrat nation of China, that's the way they term themselves. I listened last night to a segment of a speech that was recorded. Stalin in Russia, he was bragging about the election that happened the previous day. And he called it in this speech, the people of Russia had never seen, had never seen in Russia an election that was so honest and fair as the one they saw the previous day. Nothing about elections in Russia were ever fair or China. In fact, these leaders of those nations collectively slaughtered 40 million citizens. Why? For not believing in their version of democracy. These Democrats that are out there right now, and they're using that as their buzz phrase, what they're talking about, folks, is totally changing the government of the United States and calling it a democracy while they're selling or trying to sell to people that are mind-numbed. They're trying to sell the fact that people on the other side of the political aisle are trying to destroy our democracy. We don't have a democracy. In fact, there's not a single country on the planet that has a fully democratic government, not one. So what's the difference between a democracy and what we have? And what we've always had, by the way. In a democracy, folks, democratic representation means on any issue, every issue, every citizen must vote. There is no representation other than the people. Is that the way our government works? No, it never has. Is that the way the government works in any country in the UK? What about China? What about Russia? What about nations in Southeast Asia? No. There is no country in which every political issue has to be voted on by 100% of the people. That's the definition 
of democracy. Now, we mentioned Europe. Our forefathers came from Northern Europe in countries that were advertised as democracies. They weren't democratic. The people didn't run those countries. A select few at the top did that. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound to you like maybe that's the goal, that's the objective of trying to sell people in the government and in the populace of the United States that we need to preserve our democracy? What we have is termed a republic, and ours is a representative republic. That's the way it was established. And I'm not going to read you all the founding documents. You've heard them. You've read them. But what I am going to tell you, a synopsis is, they wanted to make sure that the people's voices were heard on every issue. And since it's physically impossible for the people to go into a a voting booth on every issue, we would be in a voting booth every Saturday voting if we had to determine as a populace, individually, every one of us on every issue. We choose people that promise us that they will represent us in meetings with other chosen representatives and that they will come up with the laws, they will come up with the regulations that represent the voices of the people that they are representing and they will craft laws and regulations based on that. That's where government of, government by, and government for the people came from. That's what it meant. When you go into the polling booth this week, next Tuesday, and you choose people you want to go represent you, you're not voting on every hanging out there law that is pending That's not what you're doing, but you are voting in a roundabout way. Your opinion on each of those, because you're going to vote for people that are like-minded on those issues and others. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're going to vote for somebody that you feel best represents you. The Republicans are not attacking that, but let me tell you who is. The Democrats, they want to take the responsibility for everything In your life, they want to take it away from you and put it in Washington, D.C. How do I know that? That sweeping bill that they put on the table right after the 2020 election. You remember the chief component in it was the election system? Oh, election system in the United States, it's poisoned. Of course, in one conversation, they'll they'll tell you there's nothing wrong with the election process. It's safe. It represents everybody. And then they issue a, they put out there a bill that says the election process is horrible. We've got to, we've got to change it totally. Constitutionally, to make sure that the right to be involved directly in every law that ever comes to the United States as a whole, that the people have sole authority to determine how that law is going to be treated. We'll put it in practice or we won't. And it won't be a government that says that. It will be the people through our representatives. 
Hillary Clinton's out there today screaming and hollering. We're suppressing voters. In Georgia, they're still saying that new Georgia election laws that, by the way, were put in place by the Georgia people's representatives that the people of Georgia chose right after the 2020 election when there was so much graft and corruption in the election process in Georgia that people in the Democrat Party and government from the White House down still say there was no cheating. There was nothing wrong with the 2020 election. And if you believe there was, you're a denier. And we're going to put a big D on your forehead. So everybody will know you're a denier. You're not worthy if you're a denier. You can't be trusted and nobody will listen to you. It's that way across the nation. And that's what they're doing. They don't want to talk about all of the court cases subsequently since the election in 2020 that verified there was massive election fraud. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. Oh, but you're suppressing the vote of Georgian people. It's anything but that. In fact, in the primaries, in the primaries, More people in Georgia are registered today than were before. More people voted in the primaries than ever before. There is no voter suppression in Georgia. But you know what? In this particular world, facts don't matter. Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, had Stacey Abrams in front of him in a Senate hearing And he asked her about the election stuff in Georgia. You know, she still hasn't conceded that back in 2018, she lost that election for governor in Georgia. Brian Kemp won. He's still the governor. But she also is one that is screaming today, voter suppression. Ted Cruz asked her about that. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Abrams, it's been over two years, and you still refuse to concede that you lost the race for governor in Georgia in 2018. You have said that, quote, you do not concede that the process was proper, and that, quote, they stole it from the voters of Georgia. Yes or no, today, do you still maintain that the 2018 Georgia election was stolen? As I have always said, I acknowledged at the very beginning that I did Brian Kemp won under the rules that were in place. What I object to are rules that permitted thousands of Georgia voters to be denied their participation in this election or to have their votes cast out. And so I will continue to disagree with the system until it is fixed. We have seen market progress made, and unfortunately, it was undone in SB 202. But I will continue to advocate for a system that permits every eligible Georgian to cast their ballots. Ms. Abrams, I'm going to ask you to to please answer the question I asked, which is, do you, yes or no, do you still maintain the 2018 election was stolen? That's your language. My full language was that it was stolen from the voters of Georgia. We do not know what they would have done because not every eligible Georgian was permitted to participate fully in the election. So you also told the New York Times that your loss, quote, was fully attributable to voter suppression. Uh, Ms. Abrams, do you know 
in Georgia, whether the percentage of, of African-American Georgians who are registered to vote and who turned out to vote, is it higher or lower than the national average? It is higher than the national average because Georgia is one of the largest states with an African-American population. But it, it, that's not tied to the size of the population. The percentage of black Georgians who are registered to vote in 2018 is 64.7%. That compares to 60.2% as the national average. The percentage of Georgians who voted in 2018, the election you claim was stolen from you, was 56.3%. That's higher than the national average of 48%. Let me ask you this, Ms. Abrams. In 2018, do you know which demographic group in Georgia had the highest registration percentage and the highest turnout percentage? I have a guess, but I will defer to you for the answer. The answer is African-Americans had the highest registration and the highest turnout, despite your claiming that the election was stolen and there was somehow voter suppression. Uh, let's shift to, a, to the Georgia law in particular, which there have been mountains of lies spread by, by both Democratic politicians and by the press. Does the Georgia law reduce the number of early voting days? Yes or no? Yes. It does so because you have to look at it in total. It is not simply looking at the number of days that were expanded for 40% of the population, which for 60% of the population had been the norm. It also has to look at the early voting runoff days that were indeed shortened. If you add it, is it the correct that the law increases the number of mandatory days of early weekend voting? It is a partial answer to say that certain days were increased in certain counties that had not participated in the use of all of those days of elections. They had been optional and most 60% of Georgians had been able to vote for those full number of days. 40% will now join and that is a good thing. But at the exact same time, the same bill eliminates weeks of early voting during runoff elections and limits and allows the elimination of weekend voting. Do you believe that requiring an ID to vote suppresses votes? As I have said, written, testified, and have repeated today, I believe that voter identification is always appropriate. You should know who is voting. What I object to are the ways that we are narrowing and restricting who has access to the right to vote and that has been a common and necessary complaint. As we noted in 2018, what happened to Native Americans in North Dakota who were denied the right to vote because they were required to have, they were required to have photo identification that included language and included perquisites that they were not entitled to demand. When we have narrowing of opportunities without expansion of access, that is absolutely wrong and I will stand against it in Georgia and everywhere. During the 2020 election, did your organization, Fair Fight, collect ballots for voters? And if so, were the people collecting ballots for your organization paid? We did not collect ballots. We did not pay people to collect ballots. We sent to voters absentee ballot applications, as did the Secretary of State, as did a number of other organizations, because in the midst of a pandemic, we thought it was important for voters who may or may not have had information about what their rights were to ensure that they had the education and opportunity for engagement in our elections. So I want to be clear about your testimony to this committee. Your testimony is that your organization did not pay any person in the state of Georgia in 2020 uh, to collect ballots for anybody else. No, sir. Okay, thank you.
Well, there you go. Stacey Abrams is running again against Brian Kemp for governor in the election on Tuesday. She has run, I I will tell you, a very diligent race. She is a a lightning rod for the media. She's African-American, she's female, and she's very outspoken. So she appears in the media every day, all day long. But it's her messaging that the people of Georgia, they've heard her now for four years. They're beginning to reject her messaging. It doesn't resonate. Screaming and hollering and pointing fingers and blaming when there's no there there. You know what I'm saying? People people just get tired of it. People get tired of the pontification that goes on. Look, everything's not good. I understand that. But everything's not bad either. And everything isn't perfect all of the time. That's living. (laughs) That is living. We don't have it perfect in our lives. And there are no guarantees. Uh, I'm told often, oh, you're wrong. The Constitution it guarantees equality, and we're not getting equality. There are certain segments in our society that are not equal with other segments. That's unconstitutional. The Constitution doesn't guarantee that. What it guarantees is the right of everybody to pursue what it is that you want to pursue, and the government is not going to stop you. That's the guarantee in the Constitution. Let me just say this, and we'll move on. The people in my life that I have known that have done the best, and when I say have done the best, I'm defining the best as having a great family, being positive in their lives, being effective in their personal lives, and then having great business success, or what I would term success which is not necessarily owning a business, but having a good business career, those are people that don't look at somebody else to give them breaks, to give them opportunities that they themselves could go find for themselves, but they feel like they're endowed for the government or somebody else to give it to them. The people that do the best are the people that feel this. Nobody owes me anything. I'm going to create the best circumstances for me and my family, and I'm going to do it based upon doing it the right and honest way. Hard work. Take a great idea and make it, roll it out. I started my company May the 2nd in 1992. And it was and still is today a service company. And I started it in the spare bedroom of our home. And all I had was some index cards, a phone, a computer, which was a really big deal at that time, 1992. I had a Radio Shack computer that had one floppy disk drive. And I had telephone numbers. That's the way I started that company. Today, it's a multi-million dollar service company that has clients in the medical field all over the nation. It's not my company any longer. I handed it off to a son-in-law that 20 years ago came in 
to the company, started at the bottom. He was an IT guy, and he operated our computer room. That's what he, his expertise was, his degree is. And so he decided he was going to be an IT guy, and that's what he did. His wife, who happens to be my daughter, she didn't like him being that satisfied with that position. And so she told him one day, Dad's got a company. Someday Dad's going to, he's not going to, he's not going to want to work in this forever. Somebody's going to take it over. And she told him, knowing me, Dad will probably sell the company, but we don't want that. So he came to me and he said, look, Corey and I made a decision. I need to learn what this company does because I'm going to grow in this company. I got up work for my desk told him to follow me. We walked up the hallway into the president of the company's office, who was female, by the way. And we sat down and I said, look, Scott came to me and he wants to get involved in the company. And I said, I'm telling Scott in front of you, Amy is her name. Amy, he wants to learn the company. I want you to give him no breaks. I want you to give him no shortcuts. I want you to put him in the places in this company and with the people in this company with which he can learn what we do and how we do it. And I said, I'm leaving it totally up to you. And that's the way it started. And so Scott did that. And the company is very diverse in its operations. We have dozens of medical clients, big clients in most cases, hospitals, surgery centers, and surgery center chains. One company we do work for has 120 different locations. And so everything's a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? Not every operation that if it's a, uh, a cardiac clinic, not every cardiac clinic does their medical billing and billing processing and collections. They don't do that the same way. So we have to morph into what they do and how they do it in each location. It's pretty sophisticated and pretty detailed. Over a period of 10 years, Scott learned all that. And when one of our department managers retired, Amy came to me and she said, I want to, I want to promote Scott into that position. And I said, it's your choice. And she did and he did. And he just, he just, he made that division just zoom. He found all kinds of ways to make it better. And then later, a senior position opened up in our management. And Amy gave him that job. And he did the same thing in that department. A few years later, Amy decided to retire and get in another kind of healthcare management, hospital management. She left. And so Scott he was, he was going to get a second degree. He wanted to get one in business management, an MBA. was working on that. So as CEO of the company, which I'd been all along, I just stepped in and took over the president's roles. And the day Scott got his degree, his MBA, I made an announcement that he was the president of the company. And then a few years later, I walked into his office and threw my keys on his desk and said, it's yours. <laughs> you make it roll. I'm telling you that so you can understand. Not every idea 
And by the way, what we do today as a company, it's a little different than what we did on May 2nd in 1992, but the concept is we found a niche and we filled a niche that nobody was out there filling. And we worked hard and we worked smart and we watched, we made mistakes, but we watched the industry around us. And when it was time for us to change a little bit, to stay ahead, we changed a little bit and we stayed ahead. And we added new and different things through the years, things that we didn't do May the 2nd, 1992. But we morphed as the market dictated we needed to, to stay applicable. Nothing worth having is not worth working for. If you want to get something, work to achieve it. And start with good ideas and planning, strategic planning. Find a hole, find a gap, and fill the hole. Fill the gap. People have different needs. And in every industry, the needs of the entities in that industry, it's going to change. It's not going to stay exactly the same. I'll just tell you this one thing. At one point in the history of the company, we decided to put the ownership of the company into a trust. And to do that legally, we had to get, we had in town, we had a, we had a, a, a brain guy that all he does, an attorney that all he does is trust work. And so we hired him to set it up. But to make it legal, long-term legal, what we had to do was come up with a valuation, a realistic valuation of the company. And so we hired a firm out of Virginia that came down and the guy came down and he looked at the company. He spent days analyzing the financials, yada, yada, yada. And he came up with the value. And the purpose was he does that for the IRS at whatever point in the future, something's going to happen. Um, there has to be a value placed on the beginning of the company and then a value placed on it at the end of it. If, if it was ever decided to be sold or, Somebody died that's part of that trust, which would be me or my wife, Mary Ann. So he came in and did that. And he said, look, for a few more thousand dollars, here's what I can do. I can analyze your company and how it is in working operations. Is it successful? Is it doing this thing right? Is it need, uh, does it need to change a little bit or do this a different way? And I said, heck yeah, I'll do that. And about a week later, he came into my office and we had a meeting. And here's what he said. 99% of company startups fail. And in almost every case of those 99%, the reason they fail, if they're good ideas and they provide goods and services in a really good, successful way, and they begin to grow, they fail because they don't prepare for the growth. If you're a service company, here's an example. At the beginning, you bust your butt to do the best possible service that you can for your first client and your second client and your third client. And then you begin to add clients, but you're trying to keep the same people. You're trying to keep your expenses the same and grow the revenue. And he said, what happens is the services get watered down because the companies don't grow their infrastructure in an equal amount to keep up with their growth. 
And he said, you're approaching that boiling point right now in this company. And so I got him to get specific. And what we started doing was bringing in more management that kept the ratios the same that we had been doing and using so successfully in the beginning that made the company grow. And to this day, that same philosophy is in place at the company. I'm not involved in it, but it's still the same. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this in what the Democrat Party in whole called the democracy that they're screaming that Republicans want to blow up. The democracy that they're talking about, read the story on the front page today of truthnewsnet.org. Read what Victor Davis Hanson has to say. They're talking about a way different democracy than we have. They're talking about more like along the lines of the Stalin, the Hitler, the Mao Zedong, that democracy. I don't think you want to live in that. I know I don't want to live in that. And by the way, the private sector in every type of business you can think of in that type of democracy is history in their democracy. I'm voting Tuesday. I'm voting for one thing and one thing only. I'm voting for that not to come back, but I'm voting for the people that will stand up and say, I'm going to abide by the rule of law. I'm going to abide by the Constitution. That means enforcing existing laws that are on the books and any of those laws with which my representing people don't like, I'm going to go out there and push hard to get those laws changed. But until they're changed, I'm going to enforce the laws on the book and see to it that those that break those laws, I don't care if it's in the government or if it's in the private sector, the lawbreakers, I'm going to see to it they pay the price because this is a representative republic and we take an oath to protect and to serve the people and we promise them we're going to make sure our government stays of the people, by the people, and for the people. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 10 to the 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 10 Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10 10 10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them, someone they can trust, someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, 
and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner Mencken County. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Before we get into this next topic, I thought I would share with you something I have shared before months and months ago. Somebody much wiser than I penned this. You cannot legislate the poor into freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. What one person receives without working for, another person must work for without receiving. The government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. When half of the people get the idea that they don't have to work because the other half is going to take care of them, and when the other half discovers that it does no good for them to work because somebody else is going to get what they work for, that is the beginning of the end of a nation. And finally, you cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. Oh my gosh, those are some heavy truths for us to consider. And we need to consider what's going on in our lives and why. Now, let me weigh into something. I mentioned earlier about Obama being on the stump and Joe being on the stump and them giving some diverging opinions. Barack Obama warned Democrats this week not to demonize their Republican political opponents, even as President Biden delivered a speech attacking the same day, MAGA, mega Republicans, and he tried to tie them to last week's assault on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul. Obama was at a rally in Phoenix, and he said that demonizing opponents with over-the-top rhetoric could result in physical violence, which, by the way, it has. And I'll give you a list of some of that in just a second. Barack said, one thing is clear, and that is the increasing habit of demonizing political opponents, of just yelling and thinking not just that I disagree with someone, but that they're evil and wrong, Obama said. That creates a dangerous climate. And when we have politicians and elected officials in leadership positions who continue to promote over-the-top rhetoric or make light of it, more people are going to get hurt. Now, he did not specifically mention Joe, who, by the way, in case you've forgotten, Joe Biden is Barack Obama's former vice president. Biden gave a speech at Union Station the same day. In Biden's speech, he reprised some of his previous attacks from his September 1st speech at Independence Hall, casting Republicans as extremist and dangerous to democracy. Here's what the president said, quote, Just a few days ago, a little before 2.30 a.m., a man smashed the back windows and broke into the home 
of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the third highest ranking official in America. The assailant tried to take Paul Pelosi hostage. He woke him up, and he wanted to tie him up. The assailant ended up using a hammer to smash Paul's skull. All of this happened after the assault, and it just, it's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those were the very same words. Now, this is the president speaking. Those words, where's Nancy, are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, when they broke windows, kicked in doors, brutally attacked law enforcement, roamed the corridors hunting for officials, and erected gallows to hang former Vice President Mike Pence. It was an enraged mob, he said, that had been whipped up into a frenzy by a president repeating over and over again the big lie that the election of 2020 had been stolen. It's a lie that fueled the dangerous rise in political violence and voter intimidation over the past two years. You know American democracy is under attack, he said, because the defeated former president refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. He refuses to accept the will of the people. He refuses to accept the fact that he lost. He's abused his power, put the loyalty to himself before loyalty to the Constitution. And he's made a big lie, an article of faith in the MAGA Megan Republican Party, the minority of that party. Now, let me just point out a few things. Here's a few incidents that Joe Biden and Barack Obama failed to remember about attacks by Democrats on Trump supporters. Violent attacks by left-wing activists on Trump supporters leaving a rally in California back in June of 2016. Riots in November of that year in several Democrat-run cities after Trump was announced as the winner of the election. Riots in Washington during the inauguration of President Trump. That was in January of 2017. Violent rhetoric at the Women's March. Threats against Trump supporters throughout the Trump presidency. That's the one where Madonna said from a podium on a microphone, I've often thought about blowing up the White House. Remember that? The shooting and wounding in 2017 of Republican members of Congress on a baseball field by a crazed left-wing gunman, a good friend of mine, Steve Scalise, who's on this show, this show every once in a while. He's a congressman. He's the minority whip in the House of Representatives. He was shot and almost lost his life on that baseball field. The summer of rioting by Black Lives Matter supporters, tolerated or encouraged by Democrats, that was in the summer of 2020. Threats of rioting prior to the 2020 election, forcing businesses and Democrat-run cities to board up their windows. The attempted stabbing of New York Republican gubernatorial nominee Lee Zeldin at a campaign rally this year. The alleged murder of a teenager in September after a North Dakota man said he suspected the boy was a Republican. The vicious beating of a volunteer for Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, by men who said Republicans were not allowed in the area. The alleged biting of a supporter of Republican gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon by a fan of 
Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Death threats last week against Republican gubernatorial nominee State Senator Darren Bailey in Illinois. A physical attack on New Hampshire Republican nominee for Senate Don Bolduck, allegedly by a local libertarian. The attempted assassination of Justice Brett Kavanaugh following the leaked draft of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. And then the firebombing and targeting of pregnancy centers and Catholic churches by pro-abortion activists in the wake of the Dobbs decision. They forget to even mention a single one of these things. And then Joe Biden is up there, and he said, Donald Trump and the MAGA mega Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic, and that a Republican Party that supported Donald Trump is a threat to this country. That's what you and I are facing as we make determinations of who we're going to vote for when we go into the voting booth next Tuesday. First of all, let me just say this. Make sure you get your butt to the polls next Tuesday. And I don't care if you're a Democrat. We have Democrats that are regular attendees on this show. I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian, or an Independent. I'm a registered Independent. I'm going to vote. And I don't always vote straight Republican tickets. I vote for the person and how they, in my opinion, are going to fit into this crazy life in which we live today. Our government is so screwed up. Who would have thought that in 21 months the Biden folks could get our government in the state that it's in where we are literally today, I paid $3.02 a gallon for gas in my Harley. I paid $1.69 for that same gallon of gas the day Joe Biden was elected. And one of our lead stories was, officials are now telling us, they didn't tell us this last week or the week before, all of a sudden we're being told we only have enough diesel to last through the end of this month. And this president wants to get up on the stage and tell me, and he's speaking to me, even though I'm not a registered Republican, he's saying, because you refuse to support our top-down, heavy-handed government legislation that I put out there where we take total control of the election system away from the states, which, by the way, is unconstitutional. And if they ever got that law passed, it would be immediately tested and the Supreme Court would overturn it because the Constitution says the election process must be run by the individual states. Why is that? Do you think I, who live in Louisiana, I want somebody from New York City or somebody from Washington State or Oregon or New Hampshire, very leftist states. Do I want them creating the laws that apply to me in Louisiana? No. And our forefathers saw the same thing, and they made it opposite of that. 
I want it opposite of that. I want it where the people are the ones that decide who is going to represent me and those people are going to be totally authorized to make the decisions that are necessary to craft and implement the laws that are best for the people in, in my case, Louisiana, in my case, Shreveport, Louisiana, Caddo Parish. And you expect to choose the ones that will do that same thing for you in your locality. And we have people listening in from other countries. You may not have this type of government, but you have the same issues based on government. Don't let anybody ever tell you that we, the United States, live in a pure democracy. We don't. From the very inception of the United States of America, this has been and is a representative Republican. A representative Republic. It's where somebody that we choose just simply goes up to pass laws based upon what we think the law should be. Now, here's a good question, and it was asked yesterday of Corrine Jean-Pierre in a press briefing by Peter Ducey. He pressed Corrine on Biden's anti-Republican remarks. I like to hear Corrine respond to Peter Ducey especially, but even to other people in these press briefings. Why? She gets all tied up in trying to answer legitimate questions that are asked to her and there's no real good way to answer them. Uh, you know, the Democrats do not want to go by their failed policies. They don't want to talk about the soft on crime, the Nobel reform, the open borders that's led to a record high, the 40-year high inflation, uh, the increase in CPI, the question of whether or not average Americans can say to themselves, well, do I fill up my gas tank or do I fill up my grocery cart? You know, these are things that the, the Biden administration and the Democrats continue to try and run away from, and they want to try and tie parallels that they try and think will help them in their narrative, whether that be uh, the incident that occurred with Paul Pelosi or whether that be the January 6th incidents. They want to try and utilize that as a scapegoat to run away from the fact that economically and from an income perspective and from a criminality perspective, their policies have failed. Yeah, that's right. You know, the news peg for this speech was was Paul Pelosi's attack, and he tried to tie it to January 6th. And on the very same night, General Don Bullock, Bulldog out in New Hampshire, uh, who we're going to be interviewing later in the show, was also almost attack, uh, attacked uh, b- right before his debate. So you can go back and forth with this political violence. All of it's bad. None of it's good. Uh, but then there's also uh, this exchange between Peter Ducey and Corrine Jean-Pierre, where Peter Ducey asked her what the president might be thinking when he says that people are voting for Republicans and tying that to threats to democracy. Listen to this. Following up on your comment that there's an alarming number of Republicans who are saying they're not going to accept election results, does that mean President Biden thinks it is a threat to democracy if somebody votes Republican? No, that's a that's a ridiculous question. No. Why is that a ridiculous question? Because American people should have their right to vote for whomever they want. We are talking about mega mega uh, Republican officials who have been very clear about this. Who who say who say uh, you know they are uh, pro police, but then they are also pro insurrectionists. Yeah. Do you think it's a ridiculous question, Corey? I mean, it sounds a lot like that was the argument the president was making last night. If you democratically cast your vote for Republicans, you're voting to end democracy. 
Well, that's exactly the case, right? So when it comes to Biden administration, like he actually even said himself, if you voted for Republicans, then you're not black when he talked about minorities. You know, when he talks about, you know, violence against uh, Paul Pelosi, he wants to try and tie that to Republicans, even though that individual who was accused of this, the assailant, uh, was a known hippie and kind of nudist that was there in San Francisco. You know, where were the same left whenever the incident occurred on Whip Steve Scalise by a, you know, supporter of the left who nearly killed him on the softball field? You know, where were they when it was Maxine Waters and Cory Booker and even uh, Nancy Pelosi who was trying to instigate and trying to advocate for rioting and getting in the face of your elected officials? You know, these are the same people that want to continue to try and victimize themselves but vilify everyone else. And it's just not working. And they know that. Voters are seeing through this, and they're really seeing through it in your state, sir. Early voting numbers showing Republicans edging out Democrats in historically blue Miami-Dade County. Let's look at the numbers. More than 128,000 registered Republicans have already voted there, just over 127,000 registered Democrats. Also, look at that no-party affiliation, 72,000 there. I look at this and say it's historically blue, but it's also majority Latino. Isn't this what happens when a party like the Republicans talks about the issues like the economy, like crime, and the party of the Democrats literally tries to ignore this issue up until the last two weeks before the midterms? Well, you're exactly right, Todd. Again, Florida is one of those unique states where up until 2021, we actually had over 200,000 plus more Democrats than Republicans registered. If you look down to today, you know, thanks to the, the great work that Governor Ron DeSantis has done here in Florida, we now have over 300,000 plus more Republicans, meaning about a 500,000 person shift. And you're seeing where a lot of your NPAs, your non-party affiliations and your independents are leaning more towards the Republicans and the conservatives simply based on the fact that they feel that we are better for the economy. We are better, uh, better for the inflation costs. We are better to try and ensure that we don't have the attacks on fossil fuels, that we will secure our borders to ensure our sovereignty, as well as help to lower the criminality that is going on as a result of the soft on crime policies the Democrats have. So when it comes to Florida, we're seeing great numbers here. You know, for the first time in, in my county of Seminole County, we're actually seeing an equivalent and higher vote by mail and early voting wow. by Republicans. And so I think that we're going to see not just a red wave, but a red tsunami here in the state of Florida. You heard it from Corey Mills right here on Fox and Friends First. Corey, thank you very much. That's some great perspective there. Um, It kind of falls in line with much of what we said this morning. I would think if I was a Democrat, if I was somebody in power and authority in the Democrat National Committee, or if I was a, a state Democrat Party person, I would watch closely as the layout the mix of voters in other states that we know they're out there. Like he was talking about, the registrations in Florida. Democrats had a several hundred thousand Democrat voter registration lead over Republicans in Florida for many years. And all of a sudden, the Republicans have a couple of hundred thousand more people registered than do Democrats. Where do those people come from? Do you think people that came to the state from places like New York and California, they decided to register as Republicans? I don't think that's the case. I'm sure some of them did. But most of those are Floridians that have engaged now, hands-on, in the election process in their own state, which is what the election process is supposed to be in the first place. But many citizens are just too busy 
to vote, or they don't think their vote's going to cast. For any number of reasons, they may never register, and even if they register, they may not vote. We're at a point in our U.S. history where it's critical that we all engage, everybody engage. And I don't care what your opinion is. It's valuable, and it needs to be brought to the forefront so everybody around you can know what your opinion is. Just because you think something's right doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. And the opposite of that is true. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Think it through. Look at both perspectives and come up with an opinion based upon facts that you dig up. John Fetterman, Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, he's running for that empty Senate seat and he's running against Dr. Oz. Everybody knows that. Fetterman raised some eyebrows on Wednesday when he was appearing at an event in Erie, Pennsylvania. He compared the attacks on 9-11. Remember that one was where the Islamist terrorist murdered 2,977 Americans. Lieutenant Governor Fetterman compared that attack on 9-11 to the January 6, 2021 Capitol riots. He was at an event in Erie, Pennsylvania. He said that his feeling following the Capitol riot was similar to that he had after he watched airplanes fly into the World Trade Center in New York. It was jarring, he said. The last thing I would actually think it was similar, that feeling of 9-11. You see the planes hit? Where this idea, you just watch this. I can't believe you have thousands of people overrunning our government like that. Democrats have begun to more and more invoke the January 6th riots on their campaign trail, even though that event ranks low on the list of concerns facing voters. But again, we go back to what I told you I am confident in this building. And our story today, as it says on the front page of truthnewsnet.org, Victor Davis Hanson points out Democrats are looking to build a unified national government that controls everything, basically doing away with the rights of individuals. Really, that's their objective. A Harvard-Harris poll published last month found that just 7% of those in the poll said the riot, the January 6th riot, was the most important issue facing them. The economy, inflation, illegal immigration, and crime ranked higher on the list of voter concerns. Fetterman came under fire earlier in the campaign for his pro-abortion event that he held on September 11th with an activist who supports the movement to defund police. 71 law enforcement officers died in the line of duty on 9-11, most of them at the World Trade Center. So with his latest remarks, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman carries on a long tradition of Democrats invoking the 9-11 terrorist attacks to events that were far less significant in American history. Failed Kentucky Senate candidate Amy McGrath back in 2017, she said she felt similar to 9-11 after Donald Trump's election. Disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok, whose anti-Trump text messages, remember those, got him fired from the FBI. He said last month 
that 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th in terms of its threat to democracy. Fetterman also made an inaccurate claim about his opponent, Dr. Oz's position on those riots on January 6th. Fetterman asserted Oz has echoed Trump's call to pardon all of the rioters charged with breaching the Capitol to protest the presidential election results. In truth, Oz has said he would have certified the 2020 election results and has not called for pardons for those rioters. But don't ever left don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good political story. Five people, including four Trump supporters, died at the Capitol or in the immediate aftermath of the riots. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick died of a stroke a day after the siege. Three-time Trump supporters died from medical complications. A Capitol Police officer fatally shot an unarmed Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt. And Fetterman's out there doing what Fetterman has always done. He is a anti-cop, Black Lives Matter sympathizer, and how the people of Pennsylvania would even contemplate voting for him is beyond me. Well, speaking of the Northeast, what about what's going on in Michigan? Tudor Dixon. Tudor Dixon is running against the activist governor of Michigan that's been on the front pages all the time. She is a lightning rod. Tudor Dixon has some great things to say about what's going on in her state and the people of Michigan have awakened and they're listening to her. So they had, they they must be having a little bit of a problem with their base because they had Barack Obama come in. (laughs) Apparently Joe Biden wasn't enough. Shocking. So they had Barack Obama come in and he stands in Detroit and he says, they say there's a crime issue. That happened seven years ago under Trump. First of all, we're like, he must have taken math in Michigan. I'm right. Because he was president seven years ago. That's right. So, so, but I mean, think about the optics of that. You're standing in the second most violent city in the nation, and you're like, it's not our fault. Gretchen's only been in office for 20 years. <laughs> yes, it is your fault. You guys are the ones who say you don't want our communities to be protected by the people who protect our communities. So we are going to make sure we invest in our police officers. We're going to put a billion new dollars into policing. We're going to recruit and retain police officers and bring honor back to that job. It's funny because, you know, they they ask the Democrats, are you going to have Joe Biden come and campaign for you? And most of them are like, oh, we're good, thanks. <laughs> so they asked Joe Biden, they're like, why are people asking you not to come? Why have to, as Tim Ryan said, they, he, they don't want you to come. And of course his response was like, 16, blah, 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 48. And we're like, what does that mean? No one knows what that means. I don't know, maybe it's some sort of weird code. But Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer, she had him here. So she got, you know, remember a while ago she said she was riding with Biden and we all had a ride. We all had a seat on that train. Get me off that train. No, thanks. But she's clearly still riding with Biden. They came. They were holding hands at the auto show. Do you remember that? Holding hands. I mean, part of us is like, is she holding him up? 
Right. It could be. We don't know. You know, we're not 100% sure. Maybe he thought she was Jill. Who knows? But, but that happened. And the media comes out and they're like, how sweet, Joe Biden was here and Gretchen Whitmer and Joe Biden were holding hands. It's like America's grandfather. He's like America's grandfather. Tudor Dixon, a lightning rod, and she is doing really, really well, really well in the race for governor. Next Tuesday's a big day, folks. It's a big day for all of us. Big day for all of us. And between now and then, hey, we want you to have a great weekend. Don't forget about our Saturday bullet points. We'll be back first thing Monday morning, every Monday through Friday. Join us live at TNNN. 9 to 11. Sitting there and feeling lonely. Had my blue eyes for you only. Suddenly you turned around and smiled at me. It wasn't my imagination. Had no doubts, no hesitation. When it comes to love, I know. I've been